Hey everybody, welcome back to the Podcast Daily. It is Freaky Friday, and there is also some beverages involved. It's kind of like road breaks. Berm and I are here in St. Louis. Bill is back there in Columbus, and that's where we watched night one of the NFL draft for Ohio State, which included three first-round draft picks. The total now for the Buckeyes, a uh, nation-high total all-time of 90 now. C.J. Stroud to the Texans. Paris Johnson Jr. to the Cardinals, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba sliding just a little bit, but then comes off the board. Where did he go, Brian? Number 20. Number Seattle. 20 to Seattle. Still the first receiver off the board, as most people would have expected. I think just generally it's like in, in normal NFL parlance in the last handful of years, it's been like the running backs are undervalued. Uh, and this year we saw both of them go a little earlier than we anticipated in the first round with uh, Bajan Robinson going eight to um, Atlanta. And then maybe the surprise of the night was Jameer Gibbs to the Lions at 12. I think that's the one that caught most people off guard um, or caught people more off guard than anything else. But from the Ohio State guys, I mean, they pretty much went where we figured they would. I mean, the conversation obviously changed with C.J. Stroud three weeks ago with, with Carolina seeming to be intent on taking Bryce Young. Um, it seemed like there was a smoke screen from Houston the whole time about not wanting to take a quarterback or not wanting to take CJ at number two. Maybe they were trying to like convince people to, to push off on him so they could take Will Anderson and CJ at two and then like eight or nine instead of the 12 that they had, but they moved right back up. And then, you know, you got to love that position for Jackson. Honestly, if you, you're there with DK Metcalf, you've got Tyler Lockett, you've got Kenneth Walker. That's an offense that would be a pretty good one for him to be a part of. Bill, so I had my tinfoil hat on. It wasn't right that Carolina was trying to maybe let people think that they didn't want CJ. Do you think the Texans were doing that? I, I just I'm trying to like figure that out in my head. Like what what's the strategy there? And I, I guess it could be what Berm said. Like maybe they thought they could neg him just enough and then move back up. I think they were twelve originally with their second pick. Move from twelve to like seven or eight and then get cj there maybe um i don't know it seems kind of weird but then like if if you thought that was the case then why did you why did they take them at two I, I don't know so uh i don't know where that was coming from um unless it was like the colts trying to get him to drop to four or um maybe someone like like las vegas trying to get him to drop to seven uh, i'm not sure it was it was strange uh, and it generated a lot of conversation, but the end result is like none of it mattered because CJ went number two, which is like kind of where we thought he might go for a while now. I thought it might be a situation where Houston knew that they would get a trade offer they couldn't really pass up at two if they didn't take him. Because I'm convinced that the Raiders were going to try to move up to that spot. There was talk all day on Thursday about the Texas, or about the Titans moving up to maybe three to take him. Um, and then you know, realizing that they weren't going to be able to wait that long. Carol, you know, Arizona then trading the third pick back to Houston and then moving themselves back up six more spots, you know, a handful of spots later. That was, was a very bizarre first round of the NFL draft. But like the, the commentary on the draft was, oh, this is, this hasn't gone how anyone expected. Like everyone thought Bryce Young and CJ Stroud were the two best players in this draft since January. So I'm not sure how this didn't go as expected, but. Um, you know, people like to create. Yeah, I thought I was amused by a lot of the coverage as the draft was playing out in real time. One was Charles Robinson saying, 
well, the Texans have been you know, trying to orchestrate this deal so that they could take both Will Anderson at two and then trade back up to get C.J. Stroud. I'm like, that that seems quite strange. And then there were reports from Indianapolis, like Greg Doyle wrote a story that was like, the Colts didn't do any of this stuff with the S2 cognitive test. There's no way they would be involved. Why would they be? Like, hmm. Somebody out there did do it, and it had to have been a team that needed a quarterback. Yeah. I don't know who. I'm not going to say who, but somebody did. Yeah, clearly. And and also, too, like Ryan Day was making the rounds on uh, Thursday night, and, and I guess he was able to do some more digging into like just what the S2 test involves and also – get some information on like who actually uses it. And I guess like half the league uses it like 15 teams. I think he said are, are, are ones who are actually um, clients of that company that, that administers that test. So we don't know who those 15 are, but I would bet that one of them was the Colts. <laughs> I would also bet that if one person in college football that you don't want to be like on your bad side, when it comes to investigating who people are would be Ryan Day. <laughs> Because I think he's still looking for like the officials uh, that were involved in the you know twenty nineteen game against Clemson um, and everything else that's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, he'll never find them. Um, I guess next year at the combine, they should just like wheel out some arcade games and like, have quarterbacks play whack a mole. Yeah, see who who can do it fast. It's like a like, bop. That's, that's what that's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turn it, <laughs> twist it, throw it. Now play cover two, and then or whatever. Um, so that was the way it worked out. Uh, did you think that the Cardinals pick was a good fit for Paris Johnson, Bill? Yeah, um, I did. Like, I think it's a good landing spot for him. Um, it sounds like I'm not like you know intimately familiar with the daily ongoings of the Arizona Cardinals, but it seems like Kyler Murray like maybe lobbied pretty hard for Paris Johnson, which is interesting. And uh, I do want to give uh, I want to give a little bit of a, of credit to our guy Berm, who thought that that Paris might go number three, and and the team that was originally number three did end up picking Paris at number six. Yeah, I I, I was confident that Arizona was going to make that selection. I didn't anticipate because at all the talk in the last few days about how the tight how the Texans weren't going to take a quarterback. I, I wasn't sure that CJ would go where he went, and that's what changed. You know, when I said I thought Paris would go ahead of him. Now, that said, I appreciate the little bit of credit. I will still owe you, Bobby, Jay-Z, and Austin, a dollar and a quarter apiece. Um, that's unfortunate, but that's that's my luck. Um, I, I It just seemed like the right fit. And if you're Kyler Murray, I think you understand that your entire uh, football career from here is pretty dependent on not getting hit a thousand yeah. times a game especially after blowing up his knee uh, as he did this past year. So he's going to need to be in the pocket a little bit more, and you're going to need to have offensive linemen that can keep it clean. And um, Paris, in my mind, and I'm not an offensive line expert by any stretch, but I don't think that it was close that he was the best offensive lineman in this draft, and I was not surprised to see him be the first one picked. I was surprised to see Darnell Wright go at 10, uh, and and Peter – uh, or how does he say his name? Skaronski. Go to a, what eleven, right? So, mm-hmm. um, or you know, I I didn't think those guys were going to go that high, but um, Paris, I, I just it seemed like a no brainer to me. He's a twenty one year old, six foot seven, three hundred and fifteen pound dancing bear. So I, I don't know why you wouldn't you know take a shot at him that high. Well, there was a lot of talk about his ankles. Beautiful ankles. <laughs> um, Bill and I are. Almost all the way there to an appetizer Thursday at Roosters next week. So uh, 
thank you for that. Maybe some mac and cheese bites. I don't know. We'll figure out what it is, but it's going to be delicious because it's going to be free courtesy of Berm. Let's uh, turn the attention, unless you guys have something to add about Jackson at 20 to the Seahawks. I don't think there's a lot more to it. Uh, no. I, mean, I was hoping that he great would fit, I think, but Yeah, inside the top 12 and a half picks, I thought that would have been great for me um, as somebody who... Is that just a random number you picked out of thin air? I... I saw that somebody had like odds on that. There may have been units involved. I, if there were, I lost them, unless it was a free bet, in which case I didn't lose anything, just got, gained the experience. What do we think is going to happen on tomorrow? Tomorrow's draft, uh, what do we got? Second round, third round on Friday. Uh, Burb and I are in St. Louis, as we mentioned. Probably not going to be the time that Cam Brown comes off the board, but a handful of other Buckeyes will potentially hear their name called. What do you think, Bill? What's gonna who's gonna be the first Buckeye on Friday night? I think it sets up fairly well for Dewan Jones to go pretty early. Um Anton Harrison went late there in the first round. Darnell Wright is obviously gone. Um Broderick Jones is gone. So that's a, what's five tackles went off the board, or is that right? In, in the first round, if you count Skronsky as a tackle. Um I think Dewan could be there. I'm I'm curious about how people will view the decisions that he made throughout the draft process, which I found a bit curious. Um, I kind of felt like he should have done more, and I, he left a little bit to chance, a little too much to chance for my liking, but I still think he's going to end up in an okay spot, and I, I would think he goes in the second round. I, I think I'd be mildly surprised if he didn't go in the second round. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where in the second round. Obviously, there's a number of teams that are always looking for tackles. I think – Luke Whipler, we, we didn't see any of the centers drafted uh, on night one, which is not a surprise. Um, but between, you know, the three Big Ten centers that are out there with Olawatimi from Michigan and um, Schmidt from Minnesota. Yeah, and then also Joe but, Tittman from Wisconsin is probably the best one. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you got four Big Ten centers. I bet all of them go on Friday. Um, at some point there will be a, a run on centers, um, as, as there is want to be. Um, and Zach Harrison should go on Friday. So, I think all of the real like, will they or won't they, the intrigue for Ohio State will end up on Saturday with Ronnie Hickman, with Tanner McAllister, with Cameron Brown. Um, but I think that the the main six guys that we talked about at, at, when we did the break at the Woody uh, before we left for St. Louis, all those guys will be off the board by the end of Friday, I would imagine. It's interesting when we talk about Juwan Jones and, and Zach Harrison where and I, I think you can maybe put Ronnie Hickman in this mix as well. If those guys had tested at the combine, if they, you know, had been more active, if they hadn't had what you'd have to assume are nagging injury concerns from this process through January to April, could they have snuck into the first round of the draft? Could that have changed the the calculus uh, for the first round for Ohio State as a whole? I don't know. I think Zach Harrison is probably the one with the biggest upside. You look at, you know, Berman and I got here and we're watching some defensive ends or linebackers from Iowa and Iowa State come off the board who really don't have the pedigree or production in some ways that, that Zach Harrison did at a higher level competitively. And I'm like, do they have brighter futures at the NFL level than he does? I'm, I remain skeptical of that, but nothing can change it. That's the, that's the decision that they made with their agents, with their teams around them, or with the doctors who told them not to run. 40 times or, or shuttle times or anything else. I think it would have helped him, but 
nobody pays for my thoughts on that. Nobody wants me to be their agent and nobody wants me to advise them through the combine process, even though I've been watching it for a number of years. Uh, I think they're still going to be good pros, but they just didn't get to go in the first round. And this happens every year where people say, oh, well, those are the players you know the most. You watched them the longest. You, you want Ohio State guys to do well. And yeah, that's true. But I think if you line them up physically, especially Zach Harrison, he's somebody that I thought people would be enamored by, and it didn't work out that way. Yeah, it makes it makes me wonder a little bit, like, because I I think of Zach in the same way, right? Like he's he's a freaky athlete at his size, and once he put that on all on display in this draft process, like people were going to notice, and he would rise up the boards. But then, like, I'm looking at like. Will McDonald jumping over cars, and I know Luke Van Ness had like really good testing numbers, and that's why he went so high. And I do wonder, like, was there somewhere along the line where, like, I don't know, Zach or people representing him thought to themselves, like, well, maybe you're not going to stack up as well as we thought you were against some of these guys, and perhaps it's better to, I don't know, hmm. leave that little bit of doubt yeah. rather than like give them confirmation that you are similarly athletic to them, rather than being uh, another level more athletic than they are. I, I, I don't know. I, it was weird to me. Like he was. I thought he his decisions were the oddest of anyone in this draft process, and, and maybe there was an injury thing there that, that I'm not aware of that, that I, I should be. But um, to like not put that on display when it was sort of the thing that, that like felt like was going to be his calling card in this and like the best shot he had at, at potentially being like a second-round pick um, just didn't quite match up with me. So, But I still think he can be a third-round pick um, just because he like you can still look at him and you can still see enough on tape, I think, to, to get enamored with him. But um, – he just didn't do as much to help himself as I thought he would. Well, it's just puzzling because you say maybe he would be matched up similarly athletically with these guys. All those guys went in the first round. So, yeah. like, what's the problem with proving that you're as athletic as they are? Uh, I actually think there's a lot of parallels between Zach and, and Dewan. Like, you, you got two guys who physically are just kind of freaks, but there are major question marks about, you know, how exactly how flexible they are, how, how well are they going to handle – uh, you know, with Dewan, with speed rushers in the NFL, with, with Zach, with power, you know, uh, offensive linemen who are going to be able to put a hand on you and keep you from getting through them if you can't bend as much as maybe they want to see other guys. So I think that there's actually a lot of similarities between them. And, um, you know, we know that Zach had a hamstring issue at the combine, uh, which kept him from running. But we don't know exactly if that's what kept him sidelined throughout the entire uh, evaluation period. With Dewan, I mean, you and Nick Baumgartner talked about that on on the Thursday morning show. He went out there for one day at the Senior Bowl, dominated, and then pretty much didn't do anything else the rest of, of yeah. uh, pre camp uh, pre draft process. So uh, I don't know why you would do that. Um, you know, we have similar questions, you know, about the, the Cam Brown stuff. I mean, Ronnie Hickman; these guys are on a different level, but I don't feel like they did enough to. Um, answer any of the questions that people were, were going to have about them naturally. And to me, this entire process is supposed to be about shutting down those questions and making sure that all the answers are on the table. And it seemed like to a man, uh, other than Paris, really, and, and um, CJ and, and, and May Jackson on some degree, but all those guys went in the first round because they, they stood up and they, they showed what they could do. Paris's pro day um, – you know, experience at Ohio State and his performance there was incredible. Like you watch that kid, and you're like, wow, that that is the best offensive lineman in the country. CJ didn't leave any you know any room for doubt when he threw the ball uh, in Indy and then did it again at the pro day. Like he didn't have to throw it again at the pro day, but he said, "I'm going to go out and do it." So I just don't really understand where this advice is coming from for kids who are in that process. I mean, it's a, it just doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, I wonder because even like Jackson, obviously Jackson's film from two years ago is is excellent, and he has the recruiting pedigree. But like he he ran the forty, and it wasn't that good. And like his ten yard split was was actually kind of quite bad for a guy who's supposed to be like a, a, a slot receiver. But I I almost feel like that his willingness to do it, even if it wasn't a great result, helped him. And and I whether well, he's been, did have like a historic uh, you know three cone yeah and, yeah like he still yeah. has all, he still has all that stuff to to fall back on and like it's not I'm not I'm not saying it to say that he's not athletic but I think if I think like if 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 you were someone advising Jackson coming off the injury that he came off of and people had questions about like long speed and like the ten yard split you might just say like well just don't do it but he did it and I think that actually helped him even if the results weren't good and I don't know if that's fair or not but perhaps it could end up that some of these guys were talking about for Ohio state on Friday and then Saturday, them not doing some of these things might end up hurting them in the end. Even if, you know, long-term they actually don't have any sort of impact on what they'll be as pros. When Jackson told us what he didn't, he wasn't a hundred percent for the 40 until like six days before pro day or something, right. For Ohio state. So that was probably the first time he tried to run that since for seven, eight months. So, um, I, I think people, uh, to your point, Bill, I, I think that they realize, hey, this isn't going to be his ultimate best, but he's out there competing. And I think what's frustrating to me is that for Ohio State players in a program that prides itself on competitive spirit and fight and, you know, they in the recruiting process, Ohio State is extremely interested in how well and how much a player is willing to come camp, how much they're coming, coming to compete. They're, they're not looking at, at a lot of the uh, the granule details. They're looking at, are you here and are you working? Are you competing? And then to see these dudes at Ohio State not go out and do whatever they can to compete was a little bit frustrating. And, I you know, again, maybe they did all they can and maybe we're mm-hmm. just not privy to why they didn't do other stuff. But it seems like it sort of flies in the face of what their entire program is about. I really enjoyed – so we've talked – really for, you know, four, five plus years about Ryan Day and his competitive mindset and the, uh, you know, anger, maybe the, the passion, whatever else that can bubble up when he thinks that he or his players are being challenged. And I think the way that he went out and sought this Zoom conversation with the X, uh, S2 cognitive people, tried to get a feel for both the way it works, who's using it, why they're using it, and if that testing score was actually accurate, which now everyone is basically saying it shouldn't have been leaked, and even if it was, they don't think that that was the correct number. I think Berman and I talked about this a lot on sort of the drive over. Is Ryan Day getting back to his own personality uh, after last year? I think was really sort of abnormal for him after being, you know, trying to find that maybe after losing to Michigan and being tested by Jim Harbaugh publicly. Uh, you know, we've talked about that in other settings over the time, but like, I, I thought this was kind of another example of him defending himself, defending Ohio State, defending his quarterbacks in an interesting way where I don't know that every coach, certainly not ones that I've covered in the past, may have gone to the links that he did to get to the bottom of what was really a bizarre story. Yeah, it was – It was. <clears throat> Like he wasn't going to change minds, right? Like, like Houston, I'm sure showed up this morning, knowing that it was going to take CJ Stroud with a number two pick. So, like sure. Ryan Day stumping for him, I don't think had had a tremendous effect in that regard. But but I do think it matters, right? I think you want to see your head coach go in the bat for a guy who, like, 
CJ has nothing left to give Ohio State. He's gone. He's going off to the NFL. He's not coming back here to play. Like there's, I don't think there's any benefit to that other than Ryan Day showing that he has his players back. You know when they're here and when they're long gone from here. So, um, yeah, it was good. I think I think there's benefit to that for for the program and and maybe it is a a sign of um, I don't know Ryan Day be I don't want to say be like becoming more comfortable, but maybe getting back to being comfortable like he did he just seemed to like get like very much outside of himself last year i don't know that i sensed that before last year but last year in particular it was i thought it was like fairly noticeable throughout the entire season and he does seem like a different person you know over these last few months and i suppose that's easier when you're not competing in games but um if it can carry over into the season um I, i don't think that's nothing i also think it goes to the point that it really matters to him to have one of these guys be the number one overall pick. I mean, three straight quarterbacks are, are first-round guys. All of them are Heisman finalists, haven't been put over the top, haven't won the Heisman. Like These little things do matter to coaching staffs, and they understand that they're valuable in recruiting. Having that number one pick matters, especially when it's a quarterback. I mean, that is a that is a, a, a notch on the belt that you can then use forever. And you see what it's done for Lincoln Riley in the last handful of years with the Heisman's, with the number one picks, with with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, like that. And then they'll have it again with Caleb Williams next year, like that. That matters. And so when you have a quarterback who's gone out and done everything the right way and performed at such a high level as CJ has and is in a position to be the number one overall pick, and then all of a sudden people create reasons to not pick him based on something that's entirely arbitrary in some cases, perhaps false entirely. Like, I think that just pisses him off. So I think he just (laughs) wants that to go away because as you said, like this is people challenging, not just CJ Stroud. This is people challenging. This is the same argument, the same conversation that NFL draft analysts had about Dwayne Haskins, which is, Oh, he's got too many good players around him. Oh, the throws are too easy. He he makes the throws look too easy. Like, what? Justin Fields. Somebody made that case tonight when we flipped it on, like that CJ Stroud just had like open throwing windows and got to catch and release. Like, what are you talking about? Watch him play. I mean, it, it was this. The funny thing is, is that it, it is a similar argument that was held against Tua Tonga Viola, Tonga Violina, however you pronounce the name. I am terrible at those names. Um, but like, he had big Tua. He had Jalen Waddle and, and Devontae Smith and. Uh, John Mechie, I mean, that was an incredible offensive group around him. And Tua won the, the national championship. People are like, oh, this is – who cares? Not a big deal. I mean, and Tua is eleven and can't take a hit. CJ, again, I, I just keep going back to that. I, I don't know what he would have – what he could have possibly done different to be the number one pick. Um, and, again, it doesn't matter in the big picture. He's moved on. He's number two pick life-changing opportunity money but for ryan day in ohio state like it does matter it does matter to have that number one pick yeah i mean number two is not too bad you know it's it's a it's an improvement on where they've been like where was dwayne was what 15 18 cj is 15 cj is now the highest drafted quarterback in ohio state history that is and they can only go up from one from there so that's right dwayne was 15 dwayne was 15 justin was 11 and now cj two so Kyle mccord has to be number one pick next year no pressure. Or or two years from now. You gotta be next year. It has to be next year? Yeah. If he's good enough to be a first round pick next year, he's gonna go pro. And Or it could be Devin Brown so, in two years. <laughs> right. 
I didn't think you were ready for that earlier when we did the NFL draft break. I thought we were maybe putting that conversation off. But I guess now we've had a couple more six-mile bridge beers. The expectation, the expectation is the expectation. The standard is the standard. Ohio State quarterbacks now have to be five-star recruits and first-round draft picks. If they're not, you failed. Oh, we're using the F word. Um, do we think that Justin Fry and Ryan Day shared the same tailor to put those suits together tonight? Oh, I didn't see what I Justin Fry was wearing. It it was uh, a very similar um, swatch. I don't know. Mm. Let's get into the fashion. He looked good. I Both thought, of them did. They were very well-dressed men. They're, th- they're well-compensated, and they used that to uh, great effect. I thought I thought Ryan perhaps could have gone with a different color tie than the black tie. Mm. Oh. Yeah, maybe like well, – uh, What did you recommend? Maybe something closer to the jacket. I don't know. Well, the problem was like he's, he was only ever shot from the waist up, so I don't know like – I don't know what the pants situation was. I don't know what color. He may not have been wearing pants. Yeah, you, you don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what color the belt or the shoes were. So, so maybe, maybe he was more in tune with the rest of the outfit than I than I want to give him credit for. But just seeing the 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 torso shot of the the red red it was like a red scarlet colored sport coat, right? And then like the black tie yeah. with the white shirt. I didn't. I thought it clashed a little bit. You know who didn't clash was Paris Johnson. That boy Ooh. looks sweet. That man can dress. Some heat. I know Bill liked it. Loved it. Hope hope one day we're able to pull that off. Fine outfit. Fine outfit choice, PJ, if you're out there watching, listening. I think he's busy. He's probably right now on a flight if out you need to any, Phoenix and guess. Yeah. If I, if I used to live there, some Paris, tips from someone who used to live there. Just as an aside, if you need any info, need somebody, I'll, you can fly me out. I'll, I'll drive you around the area, show you where and where not to go. It'd be lovely. Great time. Do you think that uh, Paris is uh, in any way upset that he's now a cliche Ohioan who's moving to Arizona? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a snowbird all of a sudden. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but better than doing it the other way. Something tells me he's not worried about that yeah, at this point. Probably not. Uh, on cloud nine and heading out there to Arizona to get his career started as Jackson Smith and Jigba is to Seattle and CJ Stroud is to Houston. Three Buckeyes selected in the first round. That's 90 now overall, all time for Ohio State. That is the record. Nobody has done it uh, better or more often than the Buckeyes and probably going to have a few more of them next year. That's a conversation for a different time. Uh, Second round and third round of the draft will be coming on Friday night. Uh, As I mentioned, Berman and I here in St. Louis will be covering Cam Brown's experience throughout the weekend, and Bill is back in Columbus manning the fort for us with anything else that's going on there with Ohio State. Uh, Stay tuned. Both here at the podcast and at ohiostate.rivals.com. You can join there with the code DTE30 if you want to come hang out with us. And that's it. It's Freaky Friday. Uh, thanks for joining us. A different version, but we want to make sure that we got all the draft news out there for you and break that down. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later.